Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What if there was a way to limit your investment risk exposure? A defined outcome where you could have a good sense of what your range of results could be. Given the volatility in the stock market we have seen to begin 2022, I wanted to dedicate an episode to how I help families manage risk within our, within our portfolio management process at Tama. The best way I knew how to do this was to have a conversation with Grant Koppel of Innovator ETF. Grant is a product specialist for Innovator ETFs, responsible for the distribution efforts in the Great Lakes region. He has been instrumental in the buffer ETF landscape helping pioneer the space over the past three years. Grant and I discuss how Innovator ETF seeks to provide investors structured exposure to broad markets, where the upside growth, downside risk management, and outcome period are all known before investing. The result is an efficient product suite that seeks several benefits. Please enjoy my conversation with Grant Koppel. So Grant Koppel, uh, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. So before, typically, like I will just dive into your your background, but before we do that, I just kind of want to set up the the stage, if you will, for our audience as to why of of all weeks or or time seasons, if you will, that I chose to br- to bring Grant Koppel onto the show, and it's because you work with Innovator ETFs, which is a um, ETF that I've been working with since probably four or five years ago, since you guys started um, uh, the, the firm. And why I wanted to have you on is to, I, I feel like I explain what Innovator is uh, to families and prospects that I work with all the time. And I thought, especially given the volatility of the, of the current stock market, that you would be a great person to have on to really explain what these ETFs are and how they're very different. And then we'll get to uh, some of the details of why I include them as part of my portfolio and what I use them for. So um, I just wanted to set, set the audience up for you know, that, that part of the discussion, because this is a little bit different interview than I typically do. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit uh, more technical um, than, than I typically do. So um, I think the audience buckle up. Uh, you're in for a real treat with uh, with this conversation with Grant. So, with that said, Grant, why don't you tell us about your background, how you got into the financial you know industry, and uh, go from there? Sure. Well, thanks again, Paul, for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So, um, yeah, I graduated from college, and this is this is the first job I've I scored out of school. So, I graduated in December of 2018. Um, and I'm from the town or close to it, to the town that Innovator is in, which is we're based out of Wheaton, Illinois. So we're about 20 miles west of Chicago in a small suburb out here. Um, 
but I graduated and then I had to get licensed. So I took a few tests. And then once I got um, licensed to sell securities, I started working here in April of 2019. Um, and Innovator at the time was a, a very different place. There was uh, maybe 12 or 13 employees when I originally started. We had 12 of these buffered ETFs. Um, and across the 12 products at the time, we had raised about 400 million in assets. Um, so fast forward today, it's a, it's a very different looking company. When I started, we were working on top of a seafood restaurant right here in downtown Wheaton. Um, now we've, we've expanded. We're almost at 40 employees and we're continuing, continuing to grow and hire. Um, we have over 80 of these buffered ETFs now, different flavors and variations of them. And actually just last week, we crossed $7 billion across the lineup. So um, it's been a really fun and exciting place to, to be um, in a growing sector of the industry. Um, but some, some background on innovators, we're kind of a newer ETF issuer relative to some of the older State Street, um, Vanguard, you know, bigger ETF issuers there are. Um, we were founded we were founded back in 2017 but i guess the story kind of starts earlier than that with our our two co-founders they started powershares etfs uh, which was in the early 2000s so 2003 they founded powershares etfs and really revolutionized the etf business uh, with powershares they later actually sold it in 2006 so very shortly after they sold to invesco um, and then upon retirement, one of them was pitched just by his own personal financial advisor in index annuity. Um, and, and he really liked the product. He liked having a, a defined payoff profile that it offered. So, so what this product did- That was, was, that was Bruce, right? It was Bruce and John are the founders. Actually, John, who's the other co-founder, was the one who was pitched the annuity. Okay. Um, so those two guys started PowerShares ETFs, and now they're the two co-founders today of Innovator. Um, but it was it was a really it was an insurance product. You buy it through the insurance company, and what it does is it was it was tied to the S and P five hundred, and you got some performance up to a cap, and then in turn you had a hedge in place. You had a buffer that was built in on the downside, um, and I don't know the exact payoff profiles that were being offered there, but you know there's a, a lockup period, so there's a lack of liquidity. You have to hold it for you know three years or six years, and he really liked the the known the outcome that it was offering but just thought okay obviously they knew etfs well and he knew the etf business why why isn't this being done in what really we believe is a more efficient vehicle that could offer a very similar uh payoff um so that's that's what they did so um they started innovator in 2017 it took us about a year to to get these products out the door and then we launched the first buffered ETF, which really just replicated what we had seen for years in insurance products and annuities or also through the banks with structured notes and structured products. We did something very similar, but offered it on an e in an ETF um, in the summer of 2018. So then when I started um, January, it was, you know, six, seven months after we had launched the first one. We hadn't, we didn't have much of them. Um, and we were really just trying to get the story out to as many advisors. Um, you know, and financial professionals that we really could. Yeah. And that's, that's, um, so to go back, that's how I, how I initially found Innovator and, and Bruce was, Bruce was on the Animal Spirits podcast, um, you know, back sometime in 2018 with, with Mike Backnick and Ben Carlson, who ironically, Ben and I semi know each other. Uh, 
he lives here in, in, in the Grand Rapids area over on the west side of Michigan. And we have this connection of, of multiple. So most people know that I have triplets plus one. Ben actually has one plus twins. So, okay. That's um, very funny. And so, and I remember listening to that and I was like, that's really intriguing. And I'm not sure who the, who the first person was I, I'd reached out to at Innovator, but I, I wanted to really um, get into the, to the weeds of, of understanding like, well, how do these things really work? Like, how are you able to, to set this, this buffer? And obviously, you know, the one thing I did hear Bruce talk about in that first interview was like, there's no guarantees, you know, this is, and, and we make, we make no guarantees on this, this podcast. And I should say there'll be a disclosure in here, but I'll just say it now, full disclosure, like all of my families that I work with from a portfolio management stand, standpoint, which is over 60 now, I have some component of this, of the innovator ETFs in each of their portfolios. Um, and to me, and we'll get into this in a minute is, is, is why. So, but I think that the place to go next would be to kind of explain what, go into a little bit of detail about what this buffer is like this cap in this floor. Yeah. So what's unique with like an ETF is different from, you know, people are constantly comparing these products to annuities and structured notes, like I mentioned, but with, with an ETF, it's not an obligation to be paid back a certain set of parameters. Okay. So what you do is you're actually owning a basket. When you purchase an innovator ETF, you're purchasing a basket of options that we write on the fund on SPY, the S and P um, spider ETF. Okay. So let, me, let me just, for, for our audience that may not know what an option is, and we're going to, I don't want to kind of keep this high level is, can you explain what an option is? Cause you're going to probably get into puts and calls and I, I don't want to overwhelm the audience, but I, I do want them to have some basic understanding of what makes this up. Sure. So, so an option is, so what our products do, it holds both calls and puts and an option just gives you the right to purchase a security or an ETF. You can write an option on an individual stock. You can write it on an ETF. And a call option gives you the right to purchase it at a price at a future date. Okay. And then on the other end of the contract is a put. So there's calls and then there's puts. A put is just the, the opposite. You have the right to sell. In our instance, it's an ETF. It's SPY at a price at a future date. So we, we put together a basket of both calls and puts that essentially give you, uh, you know, a hedge on the S&P. And then in order to pay for that, we need to offset the price. So we, we end up selling an option. Okay. So we sell a call option, which gives the other end of the option the right to purchase the S&P at a future date, but that generates us the money back. So at the end of the day, we, we purchase a basket of options that, that nets out the costing nothing, but can offer a known outcome, um, which is why there's, there's no free lunch. So that's the thing with these products. Although you're getting a known hedge on the downside of the S&P, the trade-off in turn is you're capping your upside. Um, so, so let's go there next. So explain, like, let's just stick with the S&P 500 index because that's what most people will, will be able to relate to, I believe, is explain this cap and then this, this floor. So what happens if, and I know there's, there's basically three levels of, of buffers and maybe we should start there first and explain what those are, like the 30, the 15, and the nine. Yeah. 
So on the S&P 500, we have three different levels of buffers, okay? And when we say buffer, it's the hedge on the downside. It's, so if you purchase, we do a 9, a 15, and a 30% buffer on the S&P. If you purchase the 9% buffer, you're covered for the first 9% of losses that the S&P um, that the S&P has over the course of a year. Okay, so, if the so, S- I- so if the S&P goes down 5% and you're in this 9% buffer, my return is going to be zero. You're going to be made whole by the end of the year. So a majority, we have these products on a quarterly basis that run for three months, buffers and caps over a three-month period. We also have a 12-month. A majority of them are 12-month products. So you do need to hold. Okay, So they're liquid, they're ETFs, meaning they trade on the exchange. But in order to fulfill this outcome and to fully get the buffer that's provided, for example, if you buy the 9% buffer, if you want to see that full 9% covered in a market drawdown, you do have to hold it for the full 12 months. And that's also true on the upside. So let's just let's talk about our May ones right now, that those are the ones that we just had reset. Um, so as the beginning of May, May 1st, uh, the start of this week, we had three tickers on the S&P that will go from May of this year till May of next year. And for example, our 9% buffer will cover you for the first 9% that the S&P loses, meaning if, like you said, if the S&P drops five, you lose nothing over the course of the year. If it dropped more than nine, let's say it dropped 12, you would experience 3%. So you're covered the first nine, but then you would take on anything that falls more than nine. Um, On the upside, what this product offered was a 20% cap. It was actually a little over 20 and some change was the upside that you can get. Meaning that if the S&P goes up 10, you make it all, you get all the, all of it one-to-one, but if it goes, if it exceeds the cap over the course of the year, let's say that the S&P from May of this year to May of 2023 goes up 30%, well, you're going to be stuck at 20. That's what you're giving up in turn for the downside buffer. Yeah. And that's what you mean by there's no free lunch. So that's, yep. so you, you have this cap on the upside, but then you have this floor up to a certain percentage, like in this case that we're talking about nine, but then you mentioned too, that there's other, there's, there's three different levels. There's a nine, there's a 15 and a 30. Yep. So the 15 is very similar to the nine. It covers you from the first 15. And and then the trade-off between those two products is if you want more buffer on the downside, you're going to lose some of that upside participation. So instead of having a 20% cap, our May series, it offered 14% on the upside. So, you know, if if the markets go up 30 with this one, you're going to get stuck at 14. Um, But on the contrary, if the S&P finishes down, it will cover you the first 15 for the next 12 months. Um, the third one that we offer on the S&P works a little differently than the first two. So the nine and the 15 is the first nine is covered over the year. The 15 is the first 15 is covered over the year. The 30 works differently in the sense that the first 5%, the investor takes on. So if the S&P went down five over the year, you would lose all five. But after that 5% you lose, the next 30, you're covered. So you actually have a buffer that starts at negative five and then buffers you down to negative 35. So you have 30% covered, but the first five you have to be willing to take. And really the reason we do that is with the options, how they price, that first 5% of buffer is the most expensive for us to finance. And it just allows us by sliding the buffer down five, it gives you a more... 
just attractive cap on the upside. Um, so we still see caps, you know, relatively attractive on that. And I, I can't remember what the 30 is off the top of my head, but we see it eight to 12% usually on the upside. But for something like a, a 30, and I know you deal with, with, um, you know, independent advisors like myself all the time, you to put somebody in a 30, that's like, you're expecting basically a big catastrophe, like something really bad is going to happen for almost an extended period of time. So if, if, yeah. if we go back to like what we experienced with COVID in March of, you know, 2020, yeah, the, the market went down 35% in like what, 30 trading days or something like that. But then it had snapped back, you know, we had regained all that loss by August, September of, of 2020. So it, it didn't last that long. Sure. Yeah. You, you have to be pretty bearish to want the 30, but, but what we found is, I mean, investors and in, in especially people nearing the end of, of their career, pre-retirees and people approaching retirement, they don't want to make their money twice. And we found there's a lot of people that are okay with maybe a 5% loss over the course of the year. They can afford that, but they just cannot afford their portfolio to take another 08 scenario. Um, and what that does is, I mean, you have to think that the market is going to correct, let's say, t- more than 20% for you to go with the, the 30 versus the 15 is, is right. a good way to kind of evaluate it. Because if they're, the market's down 20, you're going to be down the same in both. Because with the 30, you lost the first five. And with the 15, you're gonna, your buffer is going to run out and you're going to lose five. So if you think the market could drop more than 20%, you might want to consider over the course of the next 12 months, you'd maybe want to consider the 30 versus the 15% buffer. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to be pretty bearish if you're looking at that one. <laughs> and again, full disclosure, I use these products all the time and I've never used a 30. I, I mainly use the nine and the 15s. So if I kind of sum up you know, what we've talked about so far, the, the main point or the real objectivity or value in using something like an innovator ETF is the fact that you get this defined outcome whether you, you know what your potential upside cap is, you know what your, your, your potential floor is, and then you know beyond that, like how much money you could potentially lose as well. Because that's, I think that's the key too. When I'm explaining these, you know, and going back to the 9% example, I always come back, well, if the market is down, say 10% over that period, then the ETF will be down 1%. So there's still that, potential to lose money. Again, going back to you know the phrase I think you guys often use, there's no free lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is, is that you're down 1% versus down 10%. Correct. Yeah. What we found, Paul, is that there's a lot of value in having a known outcome. You know, And I think about it from the investor standpoint, from the client, and also from you as the advisor. Um, we're primarily selling these products to financial advisors. Um, I mean, basically, that's completely who we're selling these to is to, to financial advisors. And to be able to tell a client like, hey, this is what you can make over the course of 12 months. And this is how much you have covered on the downside. And if you want a little bit more, 
and are okay with bringing down the upside, how much you can make, but you want a little bit more of a hedge or more buffer on the downside. If that's what makes you feel more comfortable, it allows everyone to sleep at night. It's it's easy to match expectations when there's known, you know, and when there's you know a known set of payoff profiles. And and what we saw is there's a lot of hedging strategies in ETFs before we brought out the buffered ETFs prior to 2018, there were switching strategies that would try to get in and out of cash. But at the end of the day, what we saw with, with a lot of these defensive strategies in ETFs was you were relying on past data to, to perform going forward. And it, it, what it did is it just left you hoping. We used to have a switching strategy here that I, that I used to talk about quite a bit. And um, you, know, you would just hope you were in the right, the right area at the right time. Right. And the, the beauty with these products is, you know, when you purchase this, you purchase an objective basket of options on, on SPY. And people ask us all the time, how are these doing? How have they held up? And I said, well, you know, what's the SP done for the last 12 months? I could tell you. We, we all know what they've done because you own a basket of options that provides a known hedge. And this is how much, you know, the caps will change whenever we issue these. Um, so sometimes caps are higher, sometimes they're lower, but we know exactly what the downside is every year. Um, when, when we issue these products and, uh, you know, you're, you're never going to be left hoping that the, the strategy works or switches in time. One of the things I want to uh, come back to, which, what you said there is, you know, selling products. And obviously an ETF is as, as a product, you know, innovator, Vanguard, you know, all the bigger companies, they have, we're referring to this as product. But the one thing I want to be very clear about, because this came up, um, in a conversation once is that a prospect actually thought that I was getting compensation from innovator as having for having these as part of my portfolio. So sure. I just want to I want to make sure that the record is straight that there's no commission or kickback to an individual advisor that puts their clients in these. Right. It's, and that's what's different is, like I said, the, the constant comparison is to compare these to the insurance products and the bank notes that we've seen historically, because that's, that's really the only thing you can compare these defined sets of payoffs to. But in every other fashion, they're an ETF. I mean, they, they're expensed like an ETF. They trade on the exchanges like an ETF. And really what you do is, and it sometimes baffles advisors the way they purchase. They ask, okay, how do I get in this? Or, or where do I go and, and buy this product? Well, the answer is you go type in the ticker on TD or Fidelity, you know, or, or whatever you're using for your platform and you purchase it, you know, just like you would a Vanguard VOO, S&P 500 ETF. You type in the ticker, you purchase it. Um, the expense is taken out of the NAV on a daily basis, okay, throughout the year, just like all ETFs. When you buy SPY, you're paying a nine and a half basis point expense ratio that it's going to have at the end of the year that lags behind SPX, the actual index, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's pricing and it's expensed. And, and that's why we're bullish on ETFs as just a vehicle to offer these in as the business has moved more and more to fee-based products um, to be able to offer these in clients' accounts. Yeah, because I'm I'm very clear with with all my families and 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 people I talk to is like I I do not sell investment products if you will I I do not I do not right. sell like a an investment that like I have I get a a kickback or some kind of commission on I mean and that's different with an annuity or life insurance you know totally product totally. that with with those those are still structured in a way that you know 
the advisor, if you will, is getting a, a commission on that. And so, you know, I'm very uh, um, upfront about any disclosures like that, but I, I want to make sure that I had this on the record that there's no there's no uh, financial kickbacks to Paul Fenner or Tama Capital for for using these type of products, and and to stay on on expenses for a second, the the one one question I I get sometimes from from clients that really dig into into what they own, which I think is great. Um, I'm all for that, and they see the fact that this is not a I'll call it a I'm using air quotes here low cost. ETF. It, this is not an ETF that charges you, you know, nine basis points. We're talking what, 79, 80, 85 basis points. Um, and the, the reason how I justify that in, in working with families and, and putting these in portfolios is the fact that if I had to go in out and do this on my own, it would be near impossible. Mm-hmm. Let alone that the, it would probably be more costly if I tried to do it on my own rather than having you know, you guys do the work and pay that, that expense fee as part of the ETF. Totally. That, that's spot on. And I think, I think you have to kind of look at these a little differently from an expense standpoint. If you do compare it to just passive index tracking ETFs like QQQ, SPY, I mean, you can get even cheaper than nine and a half bips for the S&P. You can get down to three basis points, right? right. Um, there's a cost in having a known outcome. And, and if you compare this cost to the other vehicles offering defined payoff profiles, like the annuity or the structured notes, uh, you're going to pay a cost somewhere there that that's most likely a lot higher than 79 basis points. Whether the, ca- the, the cost is up front and taken out you know, on a, the front load, or it's going to be priced out of the upside performance that you can get. Um, what, what I can say is, a huge benefit to ETFs from even like an expense standpoint is that they're transparent. You can look at all of our ETFs on our website and go download a file that shows you all the underlying holdings for all 80 plus of these products that we have and see the calls and the puts that we're writing on SPY. So you know exactly what you own. Um, And when you invest, let's say $100 into an innovator ETF, Outside of the 79 basis points, $100 is going towards those underlying options. It's going straight towards options on SPY, giving you the best payoff profiles that we can get, meaning we give you the most upside we can. Outside of that's how we make money is charging 79 basis points versus like, you know, if you went and bought a structured note, it's just a piece of paper, you know, with them saying, hey, we will pay you back this based on the market's performance. They could go invest that money anywhere, right? You have right. no idea where that's getting invested. Um, so yeah, I would say that the expense is a benefit putting it in an ETF and it makes it lower cost versus other um, defined payoff profile products. Yeah. I'm glad that you pointed that out because the, the the transparency, again, if somebody really wanted to dive into these, you could go to the the ticker and see, you know, all the, all the, the puts and calls that, that, that make that up. So. Yep. And one thing I would add too, is you, you're an owner of those options. So just like other ETFs, let's just look at like a a sector tech ETF. If you were to go buy a, a technology ETF, you're an owner of those stocks that it's the ETF is just a wrapper as a means to trade the right. underlying securities, right? So if you bought a technology ETF that held Facebook and Google and Apple, 
you own those three stocks, right? You own a portion of them, whatever the, you know, the percent allocation is underlying the ETF. With our products, it's no different. You own the underlying options. So you're not tied to Innovator. It, the credit isn't in line with Innovator's balance sheet. Um, you know, what's giving you the payoff profile is the ownership of the options that are underlying in the product. So I, w- I want to pivot now to the, the probably the, the conversation you and I have been having most over the last, I'd say, year and a half is, is how to, to, to take this to another strategic level when it comes to portfolio management and utilizing the innovator ETFs as a, I'll call it a fixed income or the, the bond portion of a, of a of clients' portfolio, whether it's 70, 30, 60, 40, you know, asset allocation. That's that's where I've been really interested in doing a lot of research and analysis on, you know, how what what portion of my my family's portfolio or asset allocation should be made up of an innovator ETF that somewhat replaces what I would typically put in a in a bond fund, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or buying individual bonds, because the one thing that we've learned over the last what six months or so, right at least right now, is that as as we all know, the the major equity markets have you know pulled back, but at the same time, that risk por- that that less risk portion of your portfolio bonds, if you will, have done have performed just as poorly, mm-hmm. and so. Can you walk us through like how, um, you know, why it would make sense or how like somebody like myself is, is actually using um, Innovator as that, that portion of the portfolio and, and more specifically, Grant, why doing something like this can actually result in less risk, not more? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a fascinating point because when I started working here, it was really sold as a defensive equity allocation. This was early 2019. And then obviously with where fixed income has gone, there's been so much desperation on that side of the portfolio that people have looked to go elsewhere. And it's almost become the primary way people are using these. I'd say 85, 90% of the conversations that I have on a day-to-day basis is how can I use this in lure of bonds right now? Um, And why I think personally, why it makes sense and what I say is, Advisors and investors hold bonds for three reasons. It's defense, diversification, and income. And when rates have gone as low as they did- um, There was no income. (laughs) Right. There was no income. And you you mentioned the correlation that fixed income was having with, with equities. I think the ag was down like, I don't know, eight to ten percent early this year when the SP yes. dropped 10% in the first month. So there, there really isn't much diversification from equities. And and with that comes there's there really isn't much defense, right? So well, people, and then you throw inflation into the mix and there's nowhere to go, you know, with, with bonds. So I think um what people were are doing is they're they're looking for alternatives to fixed income right now. Um, and, and although these products, what I always tell advisors is there's there's going to be some form of correlation to equities because these products are trading, um, they're tracking the equity tracking ETFs. Equity index, yeah. Yep. And we have a couple that are tracking bond indexes, but at the end of the day, most of these are tied to equity ETFs is what these options are on. So um, if the market goes up, the funds will go up with the market. If the market goes down, so will the funds, but to a lot lesser of a degree, right? So if bonds and stocks are moving the same way, 
you know, why not take advantage of getting something that currently can get you 20% with our nine or 14% with our 15% buffer? Those are the upside caps. Um, that's going to be hard to kind of replace in, in fixed income right now. So uh, we think equities are the place to be with inflation. Um, if you're going to take the risk, you're taking it in bonds as well. And, and with rates where they're at, the risk reward is just not there. We, we're constantly talking about the unattractive risk reward profile that we're seeing right now in fixed income. And I think that's widely agreed upon in the advisor community is just where to go. So we've actually started tailoring some products to that as well. Actually, our fastest growing product right now is BALT is the ticker, and it stands for bond alternative. And what this does, it's the most conservative buffered ETF that we offer. And every quarter, what it does is it buffers you from the first 20% of losses. And it's tied to SPY. But instead of being an annual outcome, it's three months. And there's no first five like there is with the 30. So the first 20 is covered every quarter. And just for example, like when the ag was down eight, I don't remember to the exact percent it was down this this first quarter. L- let me interrupt you for just because some some audience members may not know like what AG is. Sure, the AG is just a, an ETF that tracks core bonds. Essentially, it's the iShares core bond aggregate ETF, um, okay. and it's it's a good um, I guess just benchmark for where core bonds are trading. Um, so, so when when the S and P Hit, when volatility struck at the beginning of this year, the S&P dropped roughly 10% in the first month. And I think the ag went down 8 to 10%. Our, our 20% quarterly buffer, the, the most it traded down in the middle of its outcome period was 1.4%. So it, it's been a lot less volatile, although it's tied to equities. And what I always remind advisors is our products, they have a hedge in place. They're going to come back up and realize their buffer by the end of their year or their three months, regardless of how long the outcome is. But you do need equities to go up to make money because otherwise you're just going to have a hedge in place. So it's important to note that. Um, but just with, with how bearish people are on bonds, they've been willing to take maybe a traditional 60-40 portfolio. And it might not be meaning all moving all your fixed income into equities, but moving a 60-40 to 60-20-20. And, and really now your 80% is invested in equities but 20% of that is into a buffered ETF. So you have a hedged equity allocation. Yeah. And that's, so let me make a point on that. And I want to go back to correlations, but that's, that's kind of the genesis behind when I'm structuring a 70, 30 portfolio, if you will, that 30% that's in fixed income per se, I've got maybe 10% of it in a, you know, money market account, uh, not yielding a whole lot, but it's that that order of safety that I'm looking for. But then the remaining 20% is in, you know, structure, you know, in these in the innovator ETFs. Because the one thing that that I find interesting when it comes to the fixed income side of the, of, of the asset allocation equation is that you look at what happened in just this year. You look at what happened in 2020 between the correlation between bonds and and equities. You go back to the great you know recession in in you know 0809 when when uh, crap really hits the fan, all correlations go to one. To one. And the exactly only thing right. that's safe is cash. Yep. And you can't we we can't live in a world where where that we have to have the belief that 
the market and the long term will continue to make higher highs. We'll get corrections like we're doing right now, like we did in 2020, like we did in 2018 that no one remembers. I mean, the equity markets were down almost 20% in, in December of that year. Mm-hmm. And obviously everybody still remembers 0809. Um, but that's when when I'm trying to counsel and and, and and coach, you know, families on the portfolio management side of what I do, that's always a point of emphasis that I that I put out there. And sometimes there's there's no better words than than showing a picture and when you show a 100 year you know picture of the S&P 500 or Dow or whatever index you may want to use you can see that it's going from you know bottom left up to upper upper right but mm-hmm. yeah there's there's you know drawdowns and 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 noise in there and i was just having this conversation with with a client yesterday and he's he's fairly new to the market and he's just like i i just don't understand like how the market could go from like, like yesterday, it was like down, the Dow is like down negative, like 100, 200 points. And then bam, it finishes up 900 points. It does a thousand point move in a day. And it's like, like, I, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm like, you don't. And that's why you don't watch the market. Right. You're exactly right. Stay the course, Paul. Stay buffered and stay the course. Um yeah, I, I think like you know, timing the market is just extremely difficult. And if you talk to advisors who say they got the cash before the market bottomed, it's great. Maybe they did. Like maybe in April of 2020, in March and April of 2020, they got out. You know, at some point there when the market started to sell off. But then did they get back in? Yes, you have it, to. The, you have to I get it on both ends. You, you have, have to, to get be, it. Up. You have to be right twice. I, that's why I tell yep. people: if you're a market timer. You don't have to be right once. You have to be right twice. You have to yep. know when to get out and then when to get back in. And yep. God bless you if you know how to do that. Because <laughs> and and I think it's really interesting when you look at these products too, because we we've talked about how there's an outcome over 12 months. Our ETFs, you know, if you stay the course, what you see on a line chart with our products is they price every day. They price on the exchanges. They move up and down like individual stocks and ETFs. They trade every day, all day the market's open. And if the market goes up, like I said, they'll price up, they'll price down with the market, but they'll, they'll basically just do it with less volatility. Yeah. And if you look at this, the April 2019 to April of 2020 uh, line chart with our April products, we had products that ran for the 12 month period from April of 2019 to 2020. You have that spit of volatility there right at the end. And the market goes up, up, up all the way till, you know basically towards the middle of March. And then it starts to pull back. And what you find is a whole lot of movement. And over the course of the year, over that 12-month period, the S&P was down a little over 8%. Well, you're fully buffered in the nine, you're fully buffered in the 15. Our 30 lost the first five, lost the first five. But what you saw was you went up with the market. You also went down with the market. Like our 15% buffer was about half the volatility, but you stayed the course and then you had a buffer in place. Um, and I think you're spot on, Paul. Like the timing the market is extremely difficult. And what these products allow you to do is to stay invested, knowing you have a hedge and also do it with a lot less volatility. Yeah. And I think I, and, and as, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, I think this is probably the one of the best places to end it is that it, it does not mean that the the ETF in price doesn't go up and down as you own it over your time period. But what it does mean is that you sh- we should see significantly less volatility over that time period than being directly invested in the market. That's exactly right.
So, you know, I, I had to give some thought to this, my final question with you, because um, you're, you're a very young man. And <laughs> my, my closing question for, for most of my guests is, what's the best thing about being a parent? <laughs> so, well, I'm not quite there yet. I know you're not there yet. <laughs> so um, let me, let me kind of twist this or twist the, the question around is what, what have you enjoyed most about your career um, in this, in this industry thus far? Yeah. Well, innovators, a special place. It's really unique. And, um, and I honestly, I got very fortunate and lucky to, to join at the right time, but it's really just been an absolute blessing to get to work alongside the people I get to. Um, we're led by two fantastic owners. These guys who are, who've done this before, who are very, very educated in the ETF space. Um, and, and honestly, it's just been fun to get, I get on the road, I travel almost every other week, um, getting to meet all different kinds of money managers who do things in a, in a lot of different ways. I talk to people who are, um, you know, just very passive, passive investors who don't try to time the market. And I talk to people who are day trading and actively moving money in and out. Um, and it's fascinating. It's, it's really been fun for me to learn all the different angles of this business um, and, and be a part of a, of a company that values you, that values uh, the advisor and, and really in turn wants to do what's best for the end client. And that's what we believe ETFs are, which is why there's so many assets moving to ETFs today. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun bringing out. We've brought out a lot of different variations of these products. I don't know if there's any ETF company that's brought out as many products as we have these last couple of years. There's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, there's over 80 of them now, and it can get a little overwhelming just looking at you know the chart of all the different tickers that we have. But um, yeah, it, it's been also just a blessing and really exciting to be here. Well, Grant, I can't uh, thank you enough for for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast and and really doing a, a, a thorough deep dive into what I believe is one of the most critical critical aspects of of the portfolio management job that, that I have with the over 60 families that I work with. So um, hopefully uh, uh, people got a lot of good knowledge out of this and, and a better understanding of, of how this works and then how it works within their portfolio. So I can't thank you enough. Of course, Paul. Thanks again for having me um, and would love to come back again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.